It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello, once again, everybody. Thank you for joining me here on this Friday, April 24th edition of Bang the Book Radio. My name is Adam Burke your host for the next half hour or so as we recap round one of the NFL draft, talk about what that means from a perception standpoint out there in the betting markets, talk a little bit about the second and third rounds here, and uh, just sort of have some fun breaking down what we saw last night with the first actual live sports betting event in quite some time. John Ryan, professional handicapper at John Ryan Sports, and the number one will help me out with that on today's show. Got some new content for you over at bangthebook.com. My thoughts on the first round, my thoughts on some of the topics that we're going to talk about here on today's show. That's posted over at the website. And I've got a list with some second and third round prop bets for tonight's second and third rounds uh, posted over at the website. So please make sure you check that out. Also, a couple of horse racing previews for Oaklawn Park tomorrow the Bachelor Stakes, and the Carousel Stakes. Those two races previewed over at bangthebook.com. And of course, as you know, this and every edition of Bang the Book Radio, presented by our friends over at DSI Sportsbook, BTB and the number 200 is that promo code. 100% deposit match bonus for the Sportsbook, 100% deposit match bonus for the live casino at BetDSI. It's only a game until you bet it. Like I said, John Ryan, professional handicapper at John Ryan Sports and the number one, joins me once again today. John, how's it going today, man? I'm doing pretty good, Adam, all things considered. How about you? I'm doing well, man. It was it was good to have something to watch, good to have something to sort of talk about, and you know, a live event to follow along with on Twitter. Some interesting things, some not-so-interesting things. Uh, first and foremost, I guess I'm pretty surprised that, by and large, the draft went off without a hitch. No electrical glitches, no issues with teams getting their picks in, anything like that. It was pretty smooth sailing, all things considered. I'm surprised, too. Um, I thought for sure, uh, especially when you find out that uh, uh, Dallas's owner is on his $250 million yacht um, and didn't plan on any uh, backup plan in case he couldn't get his pick in. Uh, But even that worked, so... um, it did. It went. It went well. Went without a hitch. Um, I think you had mentioned it uh, as well that this is the first time that uh, ESPN has been able to generate any type of ad revenue. So we did see a lot of ads last night, which kind of bogged it down a little bit. But you know, we got through it. Yeah, we did. I mean, things started out a little bit slow, and you know, I, I don't know why it took the full ten minutes and why it took a half hour for Joe Burrow's name to be announced, but. You know, kind of from that point forward, things went relatively smoothly. But one of the things we did talk about yesterday, one of the things that did come to fruition and wound up being really, really good for a lot of the sharper betters out there is that the first round kind of went according to the blueprint. You know, we didn't get all of these trades. We didn't get anyone trading up for Tua. We didn't get the Lions trading their pick. The Giants held on to theirs. Some people would call that kind of boring, and maybe to a degree it was, but we nailed that on yesterday's show that the top 10 picks did wind up being very conservative in nature, and we didn't see 
any of those trades that some people were kind of forecasting? Yeah, I think it was the first time since 2015 that there wasn't a big trade to move up uh, during the first 10 picks. Uh, so you're right. It, it, the first 10 went according to plan, and then you know things then changed from 10 to 20. Well, I guess I should make that 21 because the Eagles really um, – they, they got screwed. I can't imagine anything worse than being an Eagles fan, watching Dallas laughing, carrying on, knowing that they have Lamb as their pick at 17. That just had to kill them. So as far as some winners and losers here, we're going to tie this into, you know, perception going into the regular season because, you know, there are a lot of things that happen here during the NFL draft that do sort of move around some of those futures odds, some of the win total odds, stuff like that. You've got all sorts of stuff in the NFL betting market right now because there's nothing else to really bet on besides that in college football in terms of, you know, actual finish within the division, uh, head-to-head season win total stuff things of that sort. So as you sort of look back at the first round here, John, who was one of the teams that you would consider to be a winner based on what we saw last night? Uh, no question, uh, Miami and Tampa Bay. Uh, Tampa Bay was was very smart in moving up just one slot uh, to get the guy they wanted to protect Brady. I, I thought that was, uh, was very, very good. And uh, Miami, when you have three picks, how can you not be a winner? Yeah, you, know, you have three first rounders, and they're they're not going to be contenders this coming season at in the at all. Uh, I'm not trying to say I'm trying to find the words to, to describe what I'm thinking here, but they're now setting the stage uh, for 2022-2023, and they're starting to put the pieces in place to to really become a a top ranked franchise. And you have to remember too that that Brady guy is not in that division anymore. Um, the Jets have their quarterback. Buffalo has their quarterback. Now Miami is set to do the same. So in New England, the the, the Tom might have been already uh, moved in the AFC East uh, before the season even starts. So I, I wouldn't be surprised at all if New England did not win that division just based on what happened last night. Well, yeah, you know, we'll we'll talk about New England in a second here as far as kind of looking at losers because I do think that to a degree, just sort of what happened for them last night, the fact that, you know, they traded out of the first round, things of that sort, kind of speaks to something that you were kind of considering a little bit, and we will get to that here. But, you know, Tampa Bay, I mean, everything's coming up Tampa Bay this offseason. You know, they were kind of a play-on team anyway, whether they had Jameis Winston or not. They get Tom Brady. I don't know what's left in the tank for Tom Brady necessarily, but he's not going to turn the football over the way that Winston did. So that's an upgrade in and of itself. Gronkowski comes back. You should have a healthier group of skilled players on both sides of the ball. And then all of a sudden, Tristan Wirfs just completely falls into your lap. And, I mean, this is a guy that throughout the betting process in the lead-up to this first round, he was expected to be the guy going at four to the Giants. Then it was Jedrick Wills. Then it was kind of a coin flip between the two guys as to which one would go there. Then the Giants take Andrew Thomas. And all of a sudden, Tristan Wirfs starts this free fall. And for him, very anxious times. I mean, you're losing money with each pick that kind of goes by. And then all of a sudden, you find yourself now blocking for Tom Brady with a chance to go to the playoffs as a rookie, which is not the case for Andrew Thomas, not the case for Mekhi Becton, maybe Jedrick Wills, depending on how the Browns play. but 
you know, Werfs, not sure if he's going to stick at tackle. Is he a right tackle? Is he a left tackle? Is he one of the best guards in the NFL? We don't know. But Tampa Bay doesn't care because they just needed one of the five best guys on that offensive line. And Werfs is going to be one of their five best guys. Whether he plays right tackle or left tackle, if they move Donovan Smith over, doesn't really matter because he's an upgrade compared to what they had. And, you know, moving up one pick to make sure that they get him, that's fine from their standpoint. I'll talk about what it meant for San Francisco here in a minute. But the Tampa Bay love was already in full force with Brady and Gronk and everything else. I mean, are we going to see? We already have a season win total of nine and a half, juice to the over minus 120. I mean, this is going to keep going up here. And worse, it just sort of feels like everything falling into place for Tampa Bay right now. Oh, I agree. And, um, yeah, the public sentiment is reflecting that, too. You mentioned that it's minus 120 juice already. Uh, I think I did see one of the other sports books overseas at 160 juice at nine and a half. So if you move it to 10, I think at 10 and a half, then you have to go 11 and six, uh, which first year of these guys all being together, that might be pretty tough to do. But on paper, they are definitely a playoff team. There's, there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. Um, you know, Gronk hasn't played. Of course, he, he's not going to be the Gronk that we remember in New England, but he's still Gronk. He'll still be one of the best tight ends in the business. And then if they – I think it sets that uh, – offensive sets that Brady can run with, uh, let's say, Gronk is lined up on the left side right next to Wirfs. And they run a, a, you know, a slot receiver play on the other side of the field using even Mike Evans. Uh, it just opens up all kinds of possibilities and impossibilities for the defenses to try to defend. Um, it, it should be very fun to watch them play. But I thought Tristan Worse was probably – when they, that fell into Tampa Bay's lap, even, that was even greater than CeeDee Lamb falling into Dallas's lap. And it just was an absolute home run. Well, and the question here becomes, you know, you and I talk a lot about buy and sell points. You're very, very invested in the market. In fact, you've got that stock market and trading background. For Tampa Bay, I mean, the the value is gone, right? Even with getting worse last night, we're seeing a season win total that's gone up over a full win now, uh, you know, based on Brady and some of the other transactions they've had and the overjuice. So you're talking about, you know, 10 and 7 to get over this win total and, it, it it feels like right now we're not at a buy point or a sell point, right? Yeah, I would agree. It's fair value. Um, we get a little bit oversold if we get up to a, a 10 and a half line, which the way the public bets, and we've seen it before, I wouldn't be surprised at all in the next uh, several weeks to a month that we do see that print. Um, there's no reason to bet under right now on Tampa Bay. That, that would be ultimate contrarian bet to try to stand in front of the freight train and bet against them. That would, I think that would be a very foolish bet to make. Even if it wins at the end of the year, it was still a foolish bet. Uh, but you're right. It's, it's much like the stock market. When you see prices, that is discounting everything that we think we know six months into the future. So if we start on time with the NFL season, these win totals for every team is what we think we know going into December. So at, at nine and a half, uh, that's, that's fair price. Another winner for me here, speaking of teams that picked in the top 10, 
Arizona. I, I think getting Isaiah Simmons is a really good grab for them. I know people were kind of looking at maybe the offensive line, and I understand that as well. But also, you've got a highly mobile quarterback in Kyler Murray. You've got some other opportunities to get some offensive linemen here uh, throughout the course of the later rounds of the draft. So not super high upside guys, but maybe guys that will be reliable starters in the NFL. But I love getting a player like Simmons because Arizona's blueprint is already going to be to try and outscore the opposition. They are going to try and play, at least in my assumption, a very aggressive form of defense because you know that you have to force turnovers and try to get those extra possessions where you feel like you're going to score. You know you're going to give up points, but you feel like you can outscore the opposition with Larry Fitzgerald, DeAndre Hopkins now, of course, Kyler Murray in his second year. Kenyon Drake looked like a pretty good fit there. And an offensive-minded guy in Cliff Kingsbury. What you get with a player like Isaiah Simmons, you get like three players in one. He can be an edge rusher. He can be a cover guy for you, whether that's out wide or in the slot. He can be a free safety, be a punisher, be kind of a defensive quarterback type of guy. That's the kind of player you need if you're going to play this super bend and occasionally break type of defense that Arizona is going to have to play. I think he's the perfect kind of player that fits their overall philosophy. And we talked a lot about philosophy yesterday in terms of conservative versus aggressive approaches in this first round. Simmons is not necessarily an aggressive approach. He's a very, very good player and maybe the best defensive player in this draft, depending on how everybody kind of develops here. But because they're going to play an aggressive, high-octane brand of football, a player like Simmons is a great fit. And quite frankly, I saw plus 450 at Bet Online for Arizona to finish second in the NFC West. I'm kind of intrigued by that now because I think the Rams are falling off right before our very eyes. And Seattle, a regression candidate, if anything ever happened to Russell Wilson, they'd be screwed. I like what Arizona's done this offseason, and I think Simmons was an ideal fit for them. I agree with everything you said, Adam. Uh, at four and a half to one, I think that's that it's an extraordinarily great opportunity. You're not betting on them overtaking San Francisco, but you are betting on them coming in second. And it makes total sense to me that they would be able to uh, defeat uh, one of those two teams, Seattle or um, uh the Rams uh, in both games. So they'll sweep one of those two teams and then that would almost make them a lock to come in second uh, in the division. Um, I thought Simmons also was the number two best defensive player in the draft behind Chase Young, uh, who might be a generational player in his own right. I mean, Chase Young, I saw him play once live and it, it scared me and I was in the stands. Uh, he, it, the power is like nothing I've ever seen, even at the NFL level. Now Simmons is the type of guy that you said can play three different positions. He can line up anywhere on the field, and that's going to cause confusion to some of these quarterbacks, even the veteran quarterbacks, because they're going to have to know where he is. Uh, he's one of those types of players that you just can't line up and run a play without knowing where a guy like that is on the field. Um, and even thinking uh, out loud here, think about a quarterback that's that's a young one and he's trying to uh, audible because Simmons is lined up on the yeah the A gap. 
they all of a sudden they change the play. And what does Simmons do? He he is talented enough that he can switch positions right in the middle of the audible, and then then the offense is screwed. So I think the biggest thing with Simmons, um, and it came to to my mind last night right away, is that he will allow Arizona to get off the field and not have those long drives that wore down the defense. Uh, he also has the ability to, to get interceptions too uh, and create turnovers, fumbles. He's a hard hitter. Uh, I think he ran, what, a 4-3? Four, 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 yeah, like yeah, 4-3-9. Uh, I mean, he they showed that clip during the draft too where he's running step for step with Travis Etienne, which is like yep. insane. I mean, it's it's just crazy. And another thing about it too is that Seattle seemed to reach a little bit with Jordan Brooks and they needed back seven help. I understand that. But a lot of people feel like that was kind of a reach, especially with a guy like Patrick Queen sitting right there who winds up going 28th to Baltimore and the Rams, they don't pick until 52nd. So I think Arizona, a big winner last night in particular, because they're not catching San Francisco anyway, but they're trying to be better than Seattle and better than the Rams, and hope to get into that wild card discussion. And I think Seattle probably had other needs. They could have taken an offensive lineman. That would have made a lot more sense for them, I think, than taking a linebacker. But, you know, they go the linebacker route. Rams don't even have a pick. So I think Arizona, one of the big winners from last night. I want to circle back real quickly here. We talked about CeeDee Lamb falling into Dallas's lap. Philadelphia still gets a wide receiver. They get Jalen Rieger from TCU, who apparently – they had higher rated than Justin Jefferson, who went the next pick uh, to Minnesota, who, of course, traded Stephon Diggs to Buffalo for that pick. They replaced Diggs with Justin Jefferson. But, you know, there was a lot of discussion, and, and the betting odds kind of bear this out, that it's Dallas and Philadelphia in the East, as we know. Some places kind of preferred Philadelphia. Some places kind of preferred Dallas a little bit. As far as division odds, the futures odds, they're kind of lined in the same area. Even though it's disappointing that Dallas gets a guy like Lamb who winds up falling to them, how much do you feel like that shifts the balance of power between those two teams in the division? Well, it is clearly two teams in the division, I think, uh, again this year. Uh, On the bottom, uh, I think the Giants uh, were not good last night, and they arguably now are the worst team in the division. I think with Chase Young, that's got to create excitement. Uh, for Washington, for sure. Uh, and he's from that area. And I didn't even know that. He's from, the, I think, the Maryland Eastern Shore area. Uh, so that's only going to create positive excitement for as long as Daniel Snyder can keep his mouth shut and stay away from the team. The Redskins could be one of the most improved teams in the league just because of Chase Young. But anyway, back to Dallas here. You, you know, like I said in the beginning of the show, you could almost see Jerry Jones just laughing, like smiling ear to ear that he had CeeDee Lamb, the guy that the Eagles would just about kill for. And he had him. And they were all set to take a defensive player from everything that I had read and researched. And that made sense. But when they when he fell into their lap, I mean, what, what are you going to do? You know, you're not you're, you're preventing a divisional rival. Uh, who is your equal from getting a player that they want and also a very, very good player. So CeeDee C. Lamb, I think, widens the gap now for, for Dallas. And they, you know, they get the Can contract you, done. 
so you did feel like there was a gap previously that Dallas was better than Philadelphia. Yeah, I, I think Dallas last year just had one of those years where they just couldn't get out of their own way. There's so much talent on that team. Um, I know a lot of people in the beginning of the season bef- last year had them as a Super Bowl contender. And, and on paper, I could definitely see why. So now maybe you know, with the regression, uh, like you mentioned, Seattle regresses back down. Dallas might be one of those teams that's going to regress back up uh, towards their potential this season which isn't good news for Philly. And it's not good news for anybody else in the NFC. Um, you know, CeeDee Lamb with, with uh, Prescott is going to be fun to watch as well. And now, you know, it's, they have Amari Cooper. They have multiple weapons. Um, and there's really not a, you know, the defensive problems that the Eagles have had have been at the corners. Um, and they just, they, they need to really address that problem. Otherwise, the gap between Philly and Dallas is widening considerably just for that reason. The Eagles right now do not have any defenders that can stay with those weapons. Well, and we look at the Eagles here, you know, they don't actually have, they have a 53rd overall pick here. So maybe that winds up being a defensive back. Maybe they get lucky. And one of the DBs that's sitting out there winds up falling a little bit to them. I I do think it's interesting that you, you kind of saw a gap between uh, between Dallas and Philadelphia previously. I think that's kind of interesting to take a look at. Dallas out there in the 19, 20, 22 to 1 range from a Super Bowl futures standpoint. Same range still for Philadelphia. So we'll kind of see how that plays itself out a little bit. One more team that I want to declare a winner from last night. Then we'll take a look at some teams that we think kind of fell a little bit short. The San Francisco 49ers. You know, a lot of people mm-hmm. like to use that expression, you know, well, you know, team A is playing checkers and team B is playing chess. Some teams in the NFL watch these other teams playing chess and checkers and they're solving Rubik's cubes behind their backs. You know, they're, and they're going up against teams that are you know, peeling the stickers off to make it look like they solved a Rubik's cube. <laughs> San Francisco last night, what a masterful performance from them, right? You trade back one spot to get the player you wanted anyway in Javon Kinlaw. And you use that Indianapolis pick you got for DeForest Buckner to get Javon Kinlaw, a player that you know will grow into DeForest Buckner, if not be there already here in year one, and you save $20 million in the process. And by the way, I think Javon Kinlaw could be better than Derek Brown. Javon Kinlaw is an animal who had no help on that South Carolina defense. I mean, he didn't have any help on that defensive line. The back seven wasn't particularly great. Kinlaw was double and triple teamed all the time and still looked pretty good on film. Then San Francisco goes a step further, trades up from 31 to get Brandon Ayuk, the wide receiver that they wanted to target out of Arizona State. And what do they give up? They give up like a fifth round pick and the fourth round pick they got from Tampa Bay, moving down one spot for free. So all they gave up was a fifth round pick, essentially, to move up from 31 to 25, get Brandon Ayuk, get the guy with a huge wingspan to help out Jimmy Garoppolo, give them another able-bodied wide receiver. Brilliance from the San Francisco 49ers last night. And that's the difference. You know, it's not that hard, a starting caliber player in the first round. You really have to screw up to not get one. But it's these little nuanced things where, again, San Francisco – 
who's down a spot, gets the guy they want anyway, takes that pick to move up from 31 to 25, and then get the wide receiver they want. Sheer brilliance. And, and that's what separates a lot of teams in the NFL. These little detail-oriented things that they do, like Baltimore. Baltimore takes NFL-caliber linebackers in the first round with regularity. They get Patrick Queen, and Seattle takes Jordan Brooks. I would bet any amount of money that Patrick Queen winds up being a better player than Jordan Brooks, and Queen just happens to fall to them, and they're glad to take him. Things like this, fortune favors the bold, I guess is the way to put it. Yeah, I agree. And being able to recognize the situation when it happens. When that when that trade did occur, I was wondering if a team like uh, like a Tennessee who was looking for offensive tackle, uh, possibly. I wonder if they had made an offer that was even bigger than what um, than what Tampa Bay was offering at the time, because you're only moving one spot, whereas Tennessee was moving a lot more spots. But then San Francisco realized that they weren't going to get their guy in Kinlaw if they did that. So when Tampa Bay came along and, and gave them the picks that they gave them, uh, which they paid a lot to make that one move, but they wanted Tristan worse, and it didn't matter. So then you're right. They parlayed that uh, – San Francisco parlayed that deal into uh, what is – it reminded me of the movie uh, Draft Day with Kevin Costner. It really did. You know, it, you, you just cannot anticipate that until it happens. You know, when we're doing the fifth pick, the sixth, sixth pick, uh, and it's to your point, San Francisco is not already planning these moves. But when it the draft went the way it went, they were prepared and knowledgeable enough to take advantage of it. And you're right. That's the difference. So as we look at perception here with regards to, you know, regular season wins, futures odds, things of that sort, the true WTF moment last night had to be Green Bay. I mean, oh it my God. has to be. <laughs> I, look, I understand the thought process, right? Aaron Rodgers is getting older, maybe losing some zip on the fastball, so to speak. So you go get Jordan Love. And, okay, fine. You think Jordan Love is your heir apparent to Aaron Rodgers? Okay, it is what it is. You are in win-now mode. You have to get a player that actively helps Aaron Rodgers. You did nothing of consequence to help your 2020 or even your 2021 season by trading up to draft Jordan Love. I I don't even oh, I know. know man. I don't know how to process this. And in fact, too, <laughs> I even saw, and I think this came from ESPN Stats and Info, since they've taken Aaron Rodgers, the Green Bay Packers have not taken a running back, wide receiver, or tight end in the first round to help Aaron Rodgers. But, I mean, this is – what the hell are you doing, Green Bay? And, I mean, look, Green Bay probably the favorite going into the season to win the NFC North with Minnesota losing Stephon Diggs and losing some guys on defense, stuff like that. But, I mean, what is the perception of Green Bay now with – a? You know, pissed off malcontent and Aaron Rodgers as it is, they get Jordan Love, so Rodgers knows he's on this sort of you know de- definite timeline at some point, and they get him no help. How, how can you bet the Packers with any consequence now making a decision like that? Uh, you're saying to the choir. When I when I heard that pick, I was like, oh my god. Oh. Yeah, they're 
no question they are in win now. Rodgers is 36. Do you think he really wants to sit around and uh, mentor uh, a quarterback that's going to take his spot? Yeah, it, it it was. I thought it was borderline insanity. It's and the then best you look at what they draft ever. Right, you take Jordan Love. And and even secondary to that, what was their biggest problem last year? They couldn't stop the run to save their lives. So you you take you take Love, but you could have had guys that you like, Patrick Queen. You could have had Jordan Brooks, uh, Isaiah. No, not Wilson's a tackle. Um, at least that guy, guy helps Aaron Rodgers. Um, Ingo Nagdini V or something. I, I can't pronounce those names. It's um, his parents were uh, Olympians, and it, I forget what school he went to, but Miami ended up getting him. But anyway, they could have had him. They could have had Jeff Gladney as a quarterback. Um, I mean, you could it, even you could even reach for a guy like Logan Wilson, who's you got a second round grade on him. But he's one of the best run-stopping linebackers in the draft out of Wyoming. I mean, yep. even if you make a reach like that, at least people go, well, yeah, you were awful against the run. So I guess, you know, maybe it's a stretch, but you're drafting for need. You're not drafting for need taking Jordan Love. It's There's, mind-numbing. He's going to carry a clipboard for the team. Oh, my God. I mean, okay, fine. If Aaron, and even if Aaron Rodgers gets hurt, you're not throwing a quarterback from Utah State out there in week no two. No way. You know, I, I agree with you hundred percent. Oh my God. I just, and, and maybe Matt, maybe this is one of those things. And maybe this is something to follow for future drafts here. Maybe these younger, you know, more brash head coaches, maybe Matt LaFleur wanted this. Maybe it's what Matt LaFleur said. You know what? Aaron Rodgers is regressing and declining faster than most people realize. We need to plan for the future now, but if you're a GM, the way that coaching turnover happens in the NFL, I mean, yeah, you listen to what the coach has to say, but you don't let him define what you do with a first-round pick and furthermore draft up for or trade up for him. Yeah, I, trading up was the worst part oh of it. Oh, my God. Give me Minnesota to win the NFC North. That, that's all I can say. Yeah, I think I'd take that bet, too. I would stay. I would just completely stay away from Green Bay because that can't be good for the locker room either. You know, they, they've done, like you said, they, they haven't, drafted a wide receiver, a running back, or any offensive weapon for Rodgers in the first round. And how long did you say, what, the last five years? I think it's like 15 years. Man, that's that's just awesome support. <laughs> and then, and then the media you know, attacks. And everybody, and everybody gives Mike McCarthy shit, right? Yep. Everyone's like, oh, Mike McCarthy couldn't win with Aaron Rodgers. Well, I mean, okay, fine. But give Aaron Rodgers some help. I mean, my God. Now Mike McCarthy's in Dallas where he's got all kinds of help. So maybe that sort of fuels your, you know, your Dallas thoughts too. Yeah. In Dallas, he doesn't have to do much of anything. I mean, uh, I mean, they're loaded, ready to go, but in green Bay, that's just, that's turned into an awful situation with that pick. They can't make Rogers feel good at all. One other loser I want to talk about here, and then we'll spend a little bit of time talking about some second and third round options. But I think, and I could be dead wrong here. I think the Chargers are kind of a loser from yesterday. I, I'm i not a big believer in Justin Herbert. I think your game-changing first-round quarterbacks were very clear, Joe Burrow and Tua. Herbert, maybe he's good. Maybe he's really, really good. Maybe he is a top-10 NFL quarterback, which if you're spending the sixth overall pick on a guy, he better be a top-10 NFL quarterback in his prime. 
I think Justin Herbert is kind of a game manager. I think maybe he's the kind of guy that doesn't really elevate you too much, doesn't really hurt you a whole lot. Maybe they see some Phillip Rivers in him. I don't know. But I think you can win with Tyrod Taylor. I mean, the Bills have done it. I don't know if the Browns would have done it, but, you know, maybe. I think you can be good enough with Tyrod Taylor. I think if you're the Chargers, you have the opportunity to win now. I think you get Derrick Brown and make that defensive line the best in the NFL. Or maybe you trade back and take a Javon Kinlaw, something like that. Herbert does nothing for you right now, I don't think. I don't think he's going to start over Tyrod Taylor in week one. Maybe that progression happens naturally over the course of the season. But I think the Chargers are better off getting an Isaiah Simmons, getting a Derrick Brown, getting, you know, maybe a C.J. Henderson or getting an offensive lineman, something like that. Okay, you want the heir apparent to Rodgers or to uh, Rivers, and that's fine. And maybe Herbert is that guy. Then later in the first round, you trade up to take Kenneth Murray. And maybe Kenneth Murray is really good. That's a possibility. But I just think in the spot they're currently in, where everyone's clearly trying to play second fiddle to the Chiefs, I think if you want to be a wildcard team, you've got to get somebody that helps you immediately. And I don't think Justin Herbert does that. And I think the Broncos and the Raiders are better than people give them credit for. I think the Chargers are kind of a loser from yesterday. And I know Herbert was the foregone conclusion. I'm just, I'm not sold on him and I'm not sold on that plan. I, I, again, I agree with you, Adam. Uh, that was, a, I didn't really think that they were going to pull the trigger on him, uh, but they did. But think of the players they could have had, even if they would have taken uh, Ruggs as a wide receiver, everybody would have said, oh, wow, that's a stretch. But Tyrod Taylor is, is a very effective quarterback at the NFL level. He's, he's not all pro. Uh, but he's also not, you know, horrible. Um, he can he can run and execute an offense, and he has the experience to do it. So instead, what they have now is a, a big question mark with, with Herbert, as you said, and I'm not sold on him either. Um, you know, the Pac-12 is not the Pac-12 of 10 years ago. It's, it's much, much weaker. Uh, his stats were not all that impressive against – weaker competition. So, you know, you take a quarterback like Burrow in the SEC where he defeated seven teams that ended up in the, I guess, the top 12 of the final standings. And you compare that to Herbert who played in the Pac-12 where, you know, there was teams in the, in the uh, lesser conferences that had, had better uh, power ratings than some of the teams in the, in the Pac-12. So it makes it very difficult to determine whether Herbert is really the real deal or not just because of that. So now you have a comp, um, you have a quarterback controversy. You're going to have a quarterback competition in training camp. It's a, it's a distraction for the whole team. Instead, you could have done so many other different things. You could have even gotten a, a very, very good offensive tackle to protect uh, Taylor. Uh, so that was another one of those that, um, uh, yeah, not nearly as bad as the Green Bay situation, but one that I thought, well, why do you want to create a quarterback controversy for? Well, and as you look here, too, we're looking at the odds of bet online for exact finish in the division. Chiefs, of course, the favorite, minus 350 to finish first. You've got Denver, whose lowest price is plus 175 to finish third. You've got the Raiders and the Chargers now, both at plus 160 to finish fourth, both at plus 200 to finish third. And I think if you take a tangible upgrade at a position of need, 
in this draft, the Chargers all of a sudden in a division that's very open for second place can get there. But now I think it is third or fourth place for them because you're going with Taylor, who's fine. You know, he's going to be okay. He's not going to hurt you. He's probably not going to help you a ton. But if you could have had the best defensive line in the NFL, or if you could have put somebody opposite Keenan Allen to give Taylor another weapon, you've already got a really good receiving back in Austin Eckler. There are so many other directions I would have gone with this pick than Justin Herbert. I mean, you can always find a quarterback with some NFL experience. And hell, I was the proponent of them getting Jameis Winston and just kind of playing, you know, for uh, sort of a high-variance quarterback type of situation. They don't seem interested in doing that. To me, I, I mean, this sours my perception of the Chargers. And I love a lot of their individual pieces and parts on both sides of the ball. But you need a quarterback in today's NFL. And Tyron Taylor is not going to go out there and win you games as an underdog. He's not going to go out there and you know, actively steal wins for you. He's going to win the games he should and lose the games he should. And that's pretty much it. And I just, to me, Life is short, man, and competitive windows are short. And I want to be as aggressive as I possibly can at all times. And I think the Chargers, I think this is a conservative pick that if Herbert isn't the guy, that sets you back five years as an organization. Because this year he's going to sit behind Taylor, maybe start at midseason, something like that. Unless he progresses in 21, 22, and 23, you have nothing to show for the sixth overall pick. And you're drafting a quarterback again in 2023. And I just, I don't think that that's a recipe for success. I just don't think organizationally that's the way you should operate. You should strike when the iron is hot, be aggressive, improve areas on your team, whether they're strengths or weaknesses. And I don't think Herbert's the right call there. No, I agree. I'm just looking at the picks that uh, came after. I mean, in my opinion, again, uh, you pick Herbert, but you could have had Derek Brown because you need, Massive help on defense. You could have had Simmons, uh, C.J. Henderson, and then the tackles that you like, uh, Wills, uh, Becton, and then a reach would have been Ruggs. So, and, and right after Ruggs is worse, so the, the Iowa tackle. So, I mean, any one of those, and I think, would have been better than doing what they did. Yeah, you're, build, you're putting in building blocks by taking any one of the players I just mentioned. With Herbert, you're duplicating a position that you already have a guy that, like you said, he's going to win the games that he should win. Overall, he's not going to hurt you. He's he's not a gunslinger. He's not going to you know do crazy stuff and throw into triple coverage. He's going to execute the offense that he's given. But he, he also needs to stay upright. So getting an offensive tackle would have been a nice thing. So I, I think that was a mistake. And who knows, Justin Herbert might be the next Tom Brady and you and I will be dead wrong. But I, I don't see that at all. So there were some surprises in the first round last night in terms of guys that weren't taken. DeAndre Swift doesn't go. And in fact, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, who we talked about on the show yesterday, uh, he winds up being the first running back taken and goes, in fact, in the first round, Two Kansas City, brilliant pick by the Chiefs. I love that pick. So much for them. The best offense in the NFL gets even better. But DeAndre Swift doesn't go. Denzel Mims, he was a popular guy in the lead-up to the first round. He doesn't go. Xavier McKinney doesn't go. Several defensive backs that people thought could be first-round guys. Trevon Diggs, Jalen Johnson, Christian Fulton. None of them go. 
So now the second round gets very, very interesting to say the least. We'll start with the next wide receiver taken. These are odds from over at Bovada. Denzel Mims plus 125, T. Higgins plus 165, Michael Pittman plus 333, LaVisca Chenault plus 400, Chase Claypool plus 1400, then Van Jefferson and KJ Hamler also listed. Which one of those wide receivers do you think goes next year? Well, if I was uh, if I was going to gamble on this one, I, I actually might because uh, this is this is pretty good. What were the odds on Chanel again? Four plus four hundred. I, I like that one. Uh, now he's listed as what the fourth uh, fourth favorite. Yeah, the fourth choice. Yeah, and T Higgins is the favorite. Second favorite. Denzel Mims plus one twenty five. The favorite. And he's the one. He's the Baylor kid. So. Yeah, I'm actually a little surprised that Higgins isn't the uh, the favorite, to be honest with you. But what do I know about that? But I, I the, the contrarian pick here would be Cheneau because, I mean, who who knows of him other than, like, guys like you and me and people in Colorado? Um, and I think, you know, we – if I'm right on this, correct me if I'm wrong, Adam, but I think he was basically, like, the only offensive player that, that Colorado truly had that was a person that was going to be drafted. Uh, so he was playing, you know, un, we just discussed Herbert playing against weaker competition. Now you have a a possible stud wide receiver uh, playing against an entire team. You, you know what I'm trying to say? Like, it was all him, and whatever he did was the result on the scoreboard uh, in many ways. So I, I think he's going to be an excellent pro, too. Uh, so whoever picks him, I don't know who would be um, up on the list to get him, but I think that would be my bet. Yeah, I think so, too. And again, I mean, now you kind of reach the point where in the first round, and I wrote this, you know, specifically, if you're a GM and you hit on your first round pick, you can save your job. If you hit on the rest of the draft, you win. You go to the playoffs, you win some hardware, stuff like that. Now in the second round, a guy like LaVisca Chenault, the injury risk is mitigated a little bit in the sense that you didn't take him with a first round pick to where everyone goes, Hey, remember when we took that guy with a first-round pick and he played seven games a year? Now it's, remember when we took a chance on Chenault in the second round? And it made sense at the time, but unfortunately he didn't stay healthy. This is where the aggressiveness and the risk profile comes into play. So I think a guy like LaVisca Chenault at 4-1 to one makes sense. I think taking a chance on some of the tight ends further down the board, like a Harrison Bryant at 11-1, to one, or even a Hunter Bryant at 16-1, to one, who was thought to be a first-round pick coming out of Washington a couple of years ago before all the injuries happened to him, maybe first tight end drafted. That's where you kind of take a couple of gambles, something like that. Uh, DeAndre Swift, this one's interesting. I want to get your take on this one here, John. DeAndre Swift, over under 39.5, the draft position for him, under at minus 140. So thought to be the first running back to go, doesn't go in the first round line of 39 and a half, which means Bengals, Colts, Lions, Giants, Patriots, Panthers, or Dolphins, barring a trade up, would have to take DeAndre Swift. I'm not so sure that happens. Yeah, that's uh, getting my wheels spinning here now. Yeah, the the Patriots was the one that uh, stuck out the most when you were doing the list Uh, because they do run uh, their offensive scheme up till now at least, has been uh, running back by committee for the most part. But um, the pick that uh, Kansas City took in the last pick, uh, 
was brilliant in its own right because that kid can also catch the ball and he fits in perfectly with that scheme. He's another weapon. Uh, Swift, you know, is 212 pounds and, and is, uh, is a lightning bolt, as we saw in so many games last year. When he goes through the hole, um, it, it, you know, it, his burst of speed is, is probably the best of all the running backs out there. Uh, he doesn't catch as many balls as you would like. But, again, this is where I kind of draw the line in my thinking that, you know, coaches in the NFL are drafting, say they draft DeAndre Swift. They, they have a plan that they're going to teach this kid how to get better. And they're, they're going to say, okay, here's how you're going to learn to you know, catch the ball in the flat. Uh, here's how you're going to catch the ball and then read what your, what your tackle is doing with his block and so on and so forth. So even though a, a running back coming out of college is known just to run the ball and has tremendous speed, doesn't mean that he can't translate into an excellent receiver you know, out of the backfield. Uh, so I think DeAndre Swift would be an excellent pick for really any of the teams you mentioned. But I think some of the needs for some of the teams you mentioned are greater than getting a running back. And after all, we said it yesterday, running backs last about two and a half years in the NFL, and, and it's because of the punishment. Um, I'm going to be bold. Though. I'm going to say he's going he's to get picked in that range. He'll go – it's under 38 and a half, right? Yeah, 39 and a half, yeah. 39 and a half. I'll go under. One more I want to ask you about here, and then we'll wrap this thing up. The fifth quarterback drafted. I thought these odds were interesting over at Provada. Jacob Eason, the favorite, minus 155. Jalen Hurts, plus 155. Jake Fromm, plus 550. Hurts is minus 215 over at Bovada to go here in the second round. Eason's over under 49.5. Hurts is over under 55.5. The under minus 140. Jalen Hurts at plus money to me looks like a bet you have to make. I mean, you've got Pittsburgh that could use him. Jacksonville that could use him obviously Indianapolis that could use him the Colts aren't going to take him 34th but they do have a pick at 44 here I don't know to me I sort of look at Hertz and Easton and I think Hertz has a better chance at being an above average starting quarterback than Easton does I think Easton could be a starter an average one a game manager type guy I was shocked to see Easton a favorite of that magnitude at minus 155 over Hertz at plus 155. Yeah, it is surprising. It gets back to the same old uh, story back in the day when Montana, he was too small. You know, he was six, uh, six foot nothing and didn't have the arm power and, and whatever. And look what happened to him. And I think Hertz is being punished for the basically the same reason. He too is six foot one. He's 222, which is a, a lot bigger than Joe Montana was. But we're in a different age. Um, but I think it's that, that height, uh, that, that hurts, that hurts, hurts. I didn't do that intentionally. Um, so at, at plus money, I, I can almost see why it's plus money, but I like the bet that you just outlined in, in taking him because talent wise, he's the best one of the whole group that you mentioned. Um, you know, Jacob Eason gets a, a benefit because he's six, six, uh, two thirty one. That's the prototypical you know, starting quarterback in the NFL. Uh, but that doesn't mean that he's going to be exactly that. You know, doesn't – I learned a long time ago, you can be 6'1", and if you have a, a big heart, there's a lot of things you can overcome because you're only 6'1". And 
who was a better teammate in college football history than Jalen Hurts at Alabama? You know, he loses his starting job in the championship game. We know the story. And as an NFL general manager, wouldn't you want that kind of attitude in your locker room? I would say absolutely yes. Uh, so if I was running a team, I would I would pick Hertz over these guys. And what was the uh, round that he goes? Uh, minus two fifteen to go in the second round. Well, there is no such thing as a lock, but I like that bet quite a bit. I hate laying lumber, but yeah, you know, when you do these uh, prop bets, you you have to be willing to do that. Two fifteen seems very very cheap. Well, a lot of good thoughts here, wrapping up the first round and taking a look at some stuff yet to come here tonight with John Ryan. Uh, John, how can people find your work, man? Well, right now I'm on uh, on Twitter for the most part. So that's uh, John Ryan Sports, and the number one is the handle. And um, I'm going to be putting out some, some free betting systems uh, that I've put together over the years. Um, I have well over uh, – I don't even want to say how many I have. It's, it's approaching 3,500. Uh, so to give a sample of some of the stuff that my uh, my machine learning tools do, uh, I think it gives people an opportunity to learn what it does at a high level. Um, so I'll be doing those uh, on a weekly basis and probably a couple times a week as we get closer to what hopefully will be uh, some indication of when we're going to start real life again. Well, make sure you follow John on Twitter at John Ryan Sports and the number one. John, appreciate your time as always, man. Thanks so much for joining me here for a couple of draft shows, and we'll talk to you again real soon. You got it. Thank you, Adam. Have a good day. There you go. There's John Ryan. Once again, make sure you follow him on Twitter at John Ryan Sports and the number one. Coming up on our Monday edition of Bang the Book Radio, it will be the Betters Box, my MLB betting podcast, complete with the Monday mailbag. So if you got questions, shoot them over to me at Skating Tripods on Twitter, Adam at bangthebook.com or skatingtripods at gmail.com via email. That'll do it for me. Thank you so much for listening, everybody. And I will talk to you again on Monday. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.